Okay. So, so this is just, so I, I have been told that we just needed to hit the record button. So, you know what? We just went for it because Steven's like, we got to get this show on the road because I, there are so many things. Guys, you have no idea. Uh, boys and girls. The, I read the original <laughs> Gaston Leroux, 1870s novel. Wow. Uh, I watched the 1925 silent film. Oh. I watched a synopsis critique comparison of the 40s, 60s, and 80s non-musical film. Oh my god! I then watched the stage version on Broadway HD. They should sponsor us for how much we literally say their name. Absolutely. I'm down. And then <laughs> I watched the movie musical of 2004. I have been oh. listening to the <laughs> original UK West End soundtrack and the movie soundtrack all week wow I, ha I have thoughts um, and I am ready to tear this apart holy cow so um hi yeah I'm super unprepared and this is gonna be for anybody who didn't already piece this together this is gonna be a very Steven centric episode and you know what that's okay because I'm going into this knowing that we had already had this conversation so I'm I'm literally I'm treating this at least for me as like I'm attending a lecture on this oh piece my God. because I'm, I mean, I'm going to give you like little thing. When you ask me questions, I will definitely give you feedback, oh but no. like, but I'm, like, but I also want you to push back. I want you to like try to challenge a lot of what I'm saying or offer other opinions. I, but this is the whole thing. I, I, I just, uh, I, <laughs> I, I want I, to like this show. I really want to like this show. And I'm going to say a lot of good things about this show. And I'm ready for it because, but but let's be real, Steven. I love you so much. Um, I, I may not challenge you because, hun, you scare me a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and by the way, I hopefully am not sounding like I'm lost in the deep bowels of space anymore. Woo! But space travel could be fun. I don't um, know. But I just said bowels on a podcast you did fun? um I think yeah it's fun well it's fun but you don't have to bleep that out like you bleep me out because let's be real it's still <laughs> funny to me i think i'm gonna be bleeping myself out more yes are, i'm so. so i'm so but you know what um i think let's let's not keep the people waiting any longer i think we All should right. get this thing started let's get this mother going Woo! from, from the, the top. top from the top a five six seven Uh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, gaties, babies, and everybody who identifies as something else in between, welcome to another episode of From, From the Top. The top. Uh, I am Mary. I'm Steven. And, and this is your favorite musical theater cast where yes. we pick apart, where we give praise, where we just sit, chat, and talk about uh, our favorite musicals, musical theater everything and some of the musicals we don't know some of the musicals we hate some of the just we we talk about the thing that ignites our soul on fire yeah can i okay so before we like get into yeah. all of the deep deep crap deep of deep what is our <laughs> title show of yes this week, yes um i don't know i kind of want to start a silent war <gasps> is what i want to do Whoa. so the the podcast that sort of lit the fire under my hiney Ooh. to maybe be like oh we I think I can do better than that <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if we're putting it bluntly, that's fine. Yeah. Well, just to be like, I, because remember at the very first episode, I was like, I, I just want more. I don't want to be talked down to. Yeah. I don't want to feel like, what are you talking about? This isn't even your realm mm-hmm. of life. I, they just dropped a hairspray episode. <gasps> and I feel a little scandal. I feel a little called out and I feel like maybe this is, I think they dropped the first like oh. napalm bomb. And so I'm going to, I'm going to start it again. So stay tuned y'all for the silent war that is potentially be going to be waged. Did you listen to it? Did you hear Did you listen to the episode? No, I, I kind of refused. Cause I said, yes. I would never give them another listen. <gasps> I will never give them another other listen. Ooh. However, this is your caveat. I, but I feel like I have to just to be like, ah. oh, there's this cute little podcast that's coming up. And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're actually coming up. We're getting quite a few listeners. We're getting quite a few like organic leads. And I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm into it. And that was all with me sounding like I was in some like tube 40 <laughs> miles away. So now you actually, I mean, truly, um, I'm not, I'm going to give you super props. Like, uh, you know, you got your strobies and now you got your Mikey and like, let's go. Right, I got like, my Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, Tyler, I told you that he would like that. It was, it's fine. Uh, so before we start, Stephen, uh, uh, Tyler had said, um, you know, that uh, Stevie gets his Mikey and he's like, oh my God, don't tell Steven I said that. I'm like, mm, I'm obviously going to tell Steven that you said that. Oh my God. Because I think it's I, funny. So actually I was, uh, uh, this was another fun way I was going to think. I think Ty is our like phantom of the opera <gasps> here within the recording space. Yes. Like he's, he's the silent person like <laughs> pulling all the strings. So shout out to our phantom. Yes. Our phantom who is now miming, playing a, an organ, a pipe organ over here next to the board. <laughs> it's delightful. All right, Steven, you, you, my, my beautiful music man, we, you're going to lead this episode. Will you please remind the people of what we are talking about uh, today? All right. We are talking uh, about a show that I won't say is near and dear to my heart. It is more near and dear <laughs> the, uh, the recycling bin outside Ooh, my house. It's adjacent to your outside recycling <laughs> bin. <laughs> I know it's there. I appreciate it for what it is. And I know it's going to be picked up and taken away at the end of the week. Oh, so. oh my God. I've never heard a more apt description of something that people just didn't really, not that you vehemently like hate, but you're just like, I could take it or leave it. And oh, someone else man. is going to take it from me. <laughs> The show we are doing today is The Phantom of the Opera. Beautiful. Okay. Props to okay. that. Well done. However, so the last the last little bit, uh, I will say, I, t- I, I told you I have a dirty little secret with this show. Yes. Ooh, please spill the tea already. Indulge. I would, Indulge me. I would, I would never audition for this show if offered to me. Mm-hmm. If, if someone was like, hey, Steven, uh, we have this role available for you. Mm-hmm. Would you take it? I would take it in a hot second oh okay which i i really would like to play raul (gasps) i I knew you were gonna say that and i'm so happy about that because you would kill it i would love i would love to play raul Mm -hmm. um so that is my dirty little secret i don't know if i would and maybe being in the show would change everything maybe about about it but 
but it, we'll we'll get into it. So we'll yes, see. where I, do we start, I babe? I truly don't even know where to start. Why don't we start with like a synopsis of this show, just okay. to like get this out of the way? Okay, because I know once I start rolling into like the history and where its beginnings are, I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, so yeah, uh, what is the basic plot of this show, Mary? So without cheating and looking at it, right? This is my synopsis as mm-hmm. a viewer, as somebody who's mm-hmm. done this. So um, the synopsis is we're going to, so before I start this, we are going to use um, a lot of character names. Um, I will say that right now I'm just going to use first names because it's all French and I, my French pronunciation is terrible. So unless I want to sound like Pepe Le Pew and piss off a bunch of people, um, I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going <laughs> to try to like do first names. Um, so this is, um, I want to say it's set at the uh, it's it begins at the turn of the 19th century is that correct or the 18th century it, turn of let's see okay. right into the 1900s thank yes. you okay so we but the show begins um you know in this theater that is now having all these things auctioned off and what we come to find out is the items that are being auctioned off were were found or they were in the theater and you know because it's now debunked and all the things um but you have your Okay, I I always do this every time that I try to get so detailed and I need a synopsis as general overview, Mary. <laughs> Tell yourself that this is what this is. Anyway, so you're you've got a girl who has been in this, you know, in this theater for quite some time. She started as a dancer. She becomes discovered as a singer because the lead, um, you know, opera singer storms out of a rehearsal. So she's given her shot. And then she quickly becomes the young ingenue that everybody loves dearly. Um, And then there becomes turmoil and strife between the, you know, the opera singer who left and this young ingenue, right? Because the opera singer is like, well, I'm established. Um, But all the while the phantom is pulling the strings. So he's the guy that will send, you know, these letters that are signed OG to, you know, the new proprietors of the theater and to, you know, all the things. But we find out that the phantom is the one who has been giving Christine uh, the, the lead, um, Christine, her um, voice lessons. And so then there becomes, there's this really big turn where you know the the phantom is pulling the strings the theater is trying to like push back and he goes no i need to remind you who's in charge and so we end up with you know basically at the end of the show you've got this young ingenue who has been kidnapped by the phantom who's trying to keep her in this box forever right you have raul who is her love interest who shows up to save her they have this really big excellent aria together at the very end of the show and then I mean, it closes on this really beautiful button. It's so sad, but it's so pretty. But it it feels like the thing that you always thought you wanted once you get it is not the thing that you wanted in the first place. Um, so it's it's really uh, Stephen had mentioned to me it's a show within a show kind of or a show about a show because all yeah. they're doing is putting on like obviously you're in a theater right so you're you're putting on all of these different shows and the Phantom is the one who is saying Christine will play X role Christine will do this. Well, then when the proprietors don't do that, they have to pay the consequences of not following through with what the Phantom says needs to be done. So it's really just a big old, it's like a love story that's mixed with a, you know, fourth wall break with a show within a show. And then there's, I mean, there's just gorgeous music in it. And I, I mean, I'm going to say that I, I watched Broadway HD today and I just cried about six times. So um, if I cry on this podcast, I'm going to try to make it really pretty. And I'm going to try to like keep my pre-cry breaths away from the microphone. So in a long way, that was the synopsis. Did you like that? 
But I need you to know, like, Jesus. I need to know what about the show made you that emotional? What made you cry? Oh, boy. Um, I did watch the Broadway HD uh, version of this. That was the 25th anniversary that was in 2011. That and Royal Albert Hall or whatever? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing that made me cry was from a technical aspect of the show. Um, just the, the vocal range that these um, performers have. Because I, it's a silly thing about me that whenever I listen to music that really resonates with me, especially if it's musical theater, I'll get goosebumps pretty much immediately, like all it, it over was, my... It's, it, th that that performance specifically was beautiful. Oh my gosh, it was just it yeah. was mind blowing, and so that made me cry. And he, you know, like the first, I mean, that first really big aria that um, that Christine has um, when she's, you know, think of me, think of me fondly. She hits that note, and I just got instant goosebumps and made me cry immediately. On another level, it it calls back to my love of theater and the reason why I love doing theater is just the the energy that you get from a live audience that you can only get from performing in front of a live audience. And just the sound of applause just will always make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, all right, I'm already chill. Mm -mm, I feel a lump. Um, I well, so you know, recently I did. Uh, my father passed away, and so it's it's been kind of an emotional roller coaster to um, watch that particular show because it it is making it, me feel all of these these things. But um, my dad right. was and a it to you, it, yeah. It totally makes you identify with Christine. Yeah. You mean even that much more? Yeah, and it you know my dad was a huge supporter of me being in the arts and so to hear the applause and to just to see the way that this actress who portrayed Christine just like takes these beautiful moments where she just is very present in the room see I told you I was gonna do this anyway um so there were a lot of things that really kind of tapped into that um they plucked that emotional heartstring today um but really the I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you the story is like the furthest thing that from what made me emotional <laughs> is that stupid I don't know I don't know it was just it's it's um I think it's more the the warm fuzzies of why theater is to me what it is and not yeah. the content of the show if that makes sense so. oh my gosh no uh, but you see that's the thing and that's what in my entire journey not to like because uh, like i'm about to probably tear this whole f heart yeah. like it's just yeah. a thing but um there are there are things about this show i cannot deny yeah i cannot deny the people that are in this show are phenomenally talented. Yes. If if you are cast in the show, good on ya. Yeah, right. This this is not easy. Yeah. No, nothing these people on stage are doing is easy. No. And and it, it takes years to to have that skill set. Yeah. From from the ballet to to the uh, perfect pitch opera to to just the the stage presence you have to have yeah in absolutely. this show oh, yeah. is so exorbitant like it blows my mind a little bit and yeah. and like the one thing i can't deny in all of this this show's a spectacle oh it, uh absolutely no no matter what i say about this show i have mad respect for this show yeah like this is the farthest show from my bag of what I want to go sit down in for two and a half to three hours sure. and like spend my evenings doing. Sure. But I do not give any like low thoughts 
to to the people, the the production value, the, yeah. the anything. However, we're going to get into the production value of this because uh, word on the street, nothing has been changed since its drop on Broadway. Wow. Way back when. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to. So buckle up, kids. It's going to be yeah. a long one today. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying. Instead of going from the beginnings, let's just sort of reverse this. Okay. What is your first experience with this show? Like, what do you remember the <laughs> first time you saw this, the first time you heard of it, the first time, the, what's your first beginnings? So the first beginning was um, <clears throat> with the, uh, um, I actually, uh, when I was at our local theater and I was auditioning for some sort of show, um, my first actual introduction with it was there was somebody who actually went out and auditioned with Think of Me. Ugh. And and uh, it was the first time I had ever truly heard a voice that almost broke, like, you know, it broke my brain. Because, like, I had never heard another human hit I mean God knows whatever note that is that's like off of the staff just like it is in the air it's just it's wild but so I heard that um I heard somebody sing that so I went and I listened to the soundtrack and this was when I was like I mean I want to say I was like 12 so like I you know and of course like whoever was auditioning was auditioning for one of the adult roles in whatever show I was going for but um so I listened to that like nonstop. and then when the movie came out in 2004 I was in high school school at the time so I was a freshman in high school and all of my um all of the kids that were in our high school were all the girls were watching it so of course naturally to be able to fit in like high school girls do you do the oh, thing yeah. that everybody's doing oh, yeah. and so I um I watched the film and of course you know I mean I do love Gerard Butler and I think that you know his portrayal of the Phantom was quite lovely oh, um we're, we're gonna talk about Gerard Butler. oh we're gonna talk about him but that was uh all of the girls um, in our, so in our high school, there was like a loft that was in our um, gymnasium that held like a bunch of extra equipment. Um, when the girls didn't want to talk about where they were going to go meet, they would call it box five. And uh, so if they were having secret meetings, they would just leave notes to each other. It's like, you know, meet me at box five, you know, at lunch. And so, you know, the teachers would find it and be like, I don't know what this means. Um, but uh, my 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 quick little story that I'm going to share when I was when I turned 16, um, my mother, we threw a sweet 16 uh, party for me actually at my high school. So we rented out the gymnasium and we did a huge dance with like um, we had like an Italian soda bar and we had like food and a huge cake and all these things. Um, but there was a, an actor in our local um, community theater that um, had a phantom mask and he had the cape and he had a full tuxedo. And so we were, we had just gotten done like, you know, with a dance or whatever. And the DJ is up on the stage 
and uh, all of a sudden um, the the title music begins and this low-lying fog just came pouring out from backstage and the lights came on and this guy struts out in a cape and the mask with one singular red rose and he walked down the stairs to me and everybody parted and I'm standing in the middle of the gymnasium by myself and this guy, like, he walked around me and he sang to me. He dipped me and he handed me the flower. And then he ran out of the gymnasium, just <laughs> ran away. And everybody starts cheering and clapping and screaming. And I'm just like, I am so in shock. I don't know what's happened. So I run out of the gymnasium trying to find him and he's gone. And so later on, when I when I got older and started working for the organization that he worked for, I came to him and I was like, why did you leave that night? Like, I don't understand. Like, I wanted to thank you. <laughs> and he's like, Mary, the Phantom never sticks around. The Phantom makes an makes a spectacle and then he leaves. And I was like, wow, that's Cute. just that's accurate. So, yeah, that's that's my introduction with the show it was very, um, very sensory. And then, you know, after that, it was just, you know, it's always been something that is on, you know, any musical theater um uh, you know, playlist that I listen to, but it, it's never the first musical I will reach for if I need, like, if I need a f- uh, my fix. It's never the first one I reach for, but it's always a good one if I hear it. Well, yeah, and like that's the whole thing, and like I, I kind of love that it makes you as emotional as it does, and like you know, clearly, <laughs> you know, your life at the moment, but it is the the show is emotional. It like, really is. If if it does anything, it is supposed to invoke emotion, yeah. so I give it props for that. Yeah. 100%. Uh, my, my experience with the show, and I was trying to remember, I actually texted my sister because I knew my origin <laughs> with this. <laughs> and it was so specific. Oh, so I love it. My sister used to drive uh, an old Chevy Citation from the 80s. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and one... I'm already enjoying this visual. Yeah. And then she had just got a new car and she was so excited to start listening to like CDs. <gasps> yes. Yep. And I remember the day the like junk from one car got transported to the other car. Oh, I love those days. And in like the glove box or the center seat console or whatever was this CD. Oh. And all it had was like the white phantom mask on it. Sure. And it had, uh, you know, the phantom of the opera, mm-hmm. of course, and the rose or whatever it is. And I just remember um, thinking, what is that? And then I was riding with her somewhere in her car at the time. And apparently, because I was, I, I then texted her because I went, wait, Julie, why do you have a Phantom of the Opera CD? This is the <laughs> farthest thing from what you would be listening to. And I forgot that she had a best friend in high school that was really into theater and musical theater. Oh, sure. And she had sort of hopped on board with Phantom of the Opera, some, sure. of, some of that music, because it was just being played all the time with her best friend. So I remember in, I was young, young, I was like five or six maybe a little older. I can't remember. Whenever CDs came out, whenever right. that was. Oh, Lord. Yeah, right. And um, <laughs> I, I stole it. I stole the CD. Oh, you're I a did. klepto. I love it. I did. I totally kleptoed <laughs> it from her car. 
And I took it and oh, I, I popped it into like our Windows 95. Oh my God, <laughs> Windows Media Player. Yeah, Shout right, out. Windows Media Player. Let's and go. Like, propped my like big old muffy Hell yeah. headphones on and I just started listening to it. Get those big old and, cans. <laughs> and I think, I, yeah, so that is my first like understanding of the show. I love like, it. Like my first like moments with it. And I don't think I resonated with it. I was so young. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, what are you going to do? I remember thinking, oh, these people are talented. Oh, these, this, some of this music is, is, is catchy. Yeah. Um, and then I do remember the 2004 film. Oh, and boy. And I remember, I remember explicitly watching it on my television. I, re- I just remember, because you're, you, I'm young, you know, I just remember getting bored, you know, in some oh. of it. Because it, it wasn't, oh, Steven. it wasn't so interesting mm-hmm. or certain things were so long that it just sort of lost my, you know, attention span sure. along the way. Sure. And maybe that says something about me more than anything. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> now that said, of all the versions of Phantom of the Opera, um, I do love the 2004 film. Yeah. Horridly, like I love it. I, I do. Um, the the I love that they got Patrick Wilson, that they got Emmy Rossum. Oh God! Oh and, my heart! Oh my heart! And like, just those two make this film for me. The chemistry of them on screen is just un unparalleled. It's yeah. so good. What was it? I was as I'm as I was researching this freaking show. Um, <laughs> what was it? I had uh, I realized a lot of my issues with this show ha- have been Christine, just really? in her, her her willingness and her just sort of like blind ability to just accept what's happening and coming to her. Yeah. All because, well, we'll get into it once we get into like this, all this. But th- my thing is, I th- there's being dumb, and then there's being whatever this is. It's like <laughs> just completely like we're talking Stockholm syndrome on steroids. Oh, like one hundred. What is this? Yeah, I, I totally. And then in this, I, as I was researching this whole this review I came across from someone because I was looking up a specific thing about Andrew Lloyd Webber Mm -hmm. and this guy had been somehow switched trajectories in his review and he, I'm going to screw it up, but he said something to the effect of, 
And Christine's doe-eyed performance only rivaled by by Elijah Wood's portrayal of Frodo for 16 hours on screen with a blank stare into the camera. Wow. It is Christine's portrayal is, Christine's character is only rivaled by this fact of 16 hours of blank staring footage of Frodo. And I'm like, that's to me, that's accurate. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because she just accepts whatever's happening to her. She just accepts thing like, it's true. This, this is normal. Like, this is totally fine. Wow. Like, girl, you in danger, girl. Girl. Like, girl. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. But so that that's overall. Th- th- those are my experiences with the show. Awesome. That's sort of my, my take on it. I love that. But Mary, we got to start somewhere. And I think the best place to start is from the beginning. From the beginning. That will bring us back. Oh, all right. I'm, I, you know, I, kids, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm cozy. I'm ready. I got a cocktail. I'm just, we're treating oh, yeah. this, we're okay. treating this as though, again, I am, I am attending a lecture, a deep dive into this show. Uh, Cause we said from the beginning, that this is going to be a Steven centric show and I'm very, very ready for it. So Steven, what's in your glass, babe? Cause I mean, I, you showed me what your cocktail is, yeah, but I was going to say, we, we should, we should get this out because as promised, uh, here's, here's a, my take on what this show is and what was going to get me through this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. So uh, I have a nice tumbler glass filled yes. with a iced coffee base. <gasps> Ooh, fancy. All right. So yeah. So I have some deep, dark undertones. I love it. Okay. Uh, with some maybe caffeine buzz, which is like the 80s electric piano. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I then have uh, an overproofed whiskey at 113 proof. Oh my uh, God. For the exorbitant, overly dramatic bullshit <gasps> that happens throughout this entire show. Damn. Then I have some dark sweet cherry vodka just <gasps> to top it off and make it bittersweet like dark chocolate. Oh my God. Okay, so then what do you call this beautiful masterpiece? I'm going to call this the Phantom's Mask. <gasps> oh my god. Okay, I need you to send me this recipe cuz I have to <laughs> I have to make that. That sounds delicious. Steven, that just sounds delicious. Yeah. Uh, I love that. It was it was pretty good. Oh, and I did add a splash of ginger beer at the end for a hint of carbonation and a little bit more bite. Wow. I never would have thought to put ginger beer with um iced coffee. Like I never yeah. would have thought that. Props to you, babe. That sounds deli- That's a yeah. That's a cocktail it, that you serve on the uh, mezzanine. To, like to be honest, I was like, this is maybe a little weird. And I thought <laughs> I'm about to waste like a shot and a half of something. No, but I'll bite. Um, no, it it it's actually tastes pretty good. It slaps. That's what it does. <laughs> it's a certified bop. I love it. Well, I'm okay. I'm not again. Much as I am unprepared for this show, in that I only watch the Broadway HD version. Um, I also come unprepared to the uh, to the bar as well because no, no, I no. am. I I specifically ask you, Mary. I'm like, let me do the legwork in here because I made such I, big I claims know. of hating the show. I know. I was you like, did. you watch the stage version so you can bring me back to reality and center <laughs> me in this. Because so, I, well, I tried, y'all. I'm like, if I'm gonna make claims that I hate the show, I need to. Be be like prepared. I need to back this up with 
viable proof. Fair. So, well, anyway, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that I can be your your beacon in the storm and your your anchor mm-hmm. to keep you grounded. Um, so uh, I'm I'm rocking my my very very classic, very simple. Um, I just do I do vodka diet cokes because it's very for me it's it's easy to drink. Um, the only thing that's missing from it, um, well, okay, uh, that's I would. Nope, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say because that would be stupid. Anyway, um, so it is just <laughs> vodka diet coke, um, but it is you know it's something that's it's timeless, it's classic. It it allows me to be able to still you know enjoy without um, you know getting totally uh, shwasty faced because I don't think anybody would want to listen to drunk Mary podcast. That would be just awful. Um, I have a feeling that is 100% incorrect, but you know. Uh, we're gonna go with that. <laughs> we're gonna do an after-hours version of this called, you know, um, it's just Mary and Steven after dark. That's just, oh my god! We just get drunk and we try to describe. So it's like drunk history, but drunk musicals. <laughs> drunk musical theater cast. Here we are. Oh my god! Here we go. That's a spinoff actually, show. Actually, I'm not, I was about to call them out. I'm like, there is actually one that <gasps> ends up. They end up getting pretty wasted by the end of their podcast every time, oh and no. I'm just like people why are you doing this see my my anxiety couldn't handle the embarrassment so there's yeah, no way I couldn't either. no anyway all right babe all right kick this off where where do we start so we have to start with the source material yes so this book was written by gaston Leroux, um a french man um he originally had published this i just want the year just to for my own benefit oh here we are perfect um Phantom of the Opera is a novel by French author Gaston Leroux, um, first published as a uh, serial. So we're, we're talking like these were uh, little snippets of stories published each week oh, in sure. the local paper sure. um, in 1909. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. So uh, these this, so this was like a series, you know, to keep people interested buying papers. It was a great thing for papers at the time because it made people buy a paper. Sure. And it in in it gave uh, at least you know a couple months work yeah. solid work to to a writer of course. Um, so Gaston Leroux. So his past is actually kind of funny. Um, he had a major inheritance, so like he was a trust fund baby. Mm. Um, but he gambled it away. <gasps> Damn those trust fund kids! <laughs> yeah, right. They have no idea, no idea. How they don't the world understand. Works. They don't understand. <laughs> so he then took up a, a job at this local paper, where he then uh, started doing more reporting. But he was a creative, is what we'll, we'll call it. Oh, of course. And so he pitched this idea of doing this, you know, series. <laughs> Air quotes, creative. <laughs> yeah, uh, creative. Well, he was. He actually was. So. He had been hearing rumors of this uh, this theater, this opera house, mm-hmm. that had had all of these weird happenings. And uh, in the book, they call it the Palais Garnier. Um, I in all of the, in the tabs that I've lost, I have somehow oh babe oh no lost the original name of this. And uh, again, mark this down for show notes. It's probably something real simple like. The Paris Opera House or something, but I can't. So these the the happenings around this opera house had you know taken wind. Sensationalism had grown it into this huge rumor mill of stuff. Plus, as theater people, we know that every theater is haunted, right? Yes, like every yes. theater has its ghost. Yes. Every you know 
weird things happen when you're alone. Mm -hmm. um, so um, these happenings were, you know, s small things from little tricks done in the dressing room to things backstage, like a prop gun missing sure. to everything. And people were just blaming the Phantom. Of right? course. It became this inside joke amongst anyone at this opera house. But the big one that everyone knows is this chandelier fell. Right, oh, and this is where this, this is, is where, where this it happens. comes in. Okay, yeah. all right. So this chandelier falls actually not on stage. It falls in the audience. Oh my God. <laughs> so the, the actual story <clears throat> is a counterweight rope had broke that was holding up this this thing. Oh it, my God. It is, it is rumored, no one really knows. It was either the counterweight that broke through the ceiling and fell into the audience, crushing and killing a woman. Oh, Jesus. Or it was the physical chandelier. That's, it's been lost through history. Many, many things are back and forth on sure. it. Um, so one or the other is true. I, I'm probably willing to bet it was just the counterweight, but it's a better story yes. if it was the chandelier. It's more so, dramatic if it's the chandelier. Exactly. Uh, the funny thing is this woman that Carlotta is based off of, yes. shout out to Mini Driver. Uh -huh. Oh my God. Yeah. I love uh, her. Iconic. Um, she, side note, fun little quip. She was the only one in the film that didn't sing. And not because she can't sing, but because she wanted to do the role justice. She was like, I know I'm supposed to be weird and bad, but I want it to be good and bad. Ooh. <laughs> so, cause she's a singer. Like she can't right. sing. She's just not classically trained. And so she was like, I, Dub me, please. Wow. <laughs> so, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Love fun tidbits. little snippet in there. Fun little snippet. But anyway, so the woman that Carlotta is based off of hadn't done such a phenomenal job at the ending number because the audience cried encore <gasps> and made such a ruckus that they're thinking this is why the rope broke. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It was Carlotta's amazing performance and the raucousness of the audience combined calling for the encore. During the encore, the counterweight breaks, the chandelier or the counterweight falls into the audience killing a woman. Wow. Okay, that's kind of a cool story though. That's yeah. that's kind of amazing. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. to talk about 
the physical opera house. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about this place. So this opera house, like I said, it's rumored everyone is having this like understanding that there's this theater phantom, this theater ghost right. that is just playing tricks, doing stuff. They believe some of them believe it, some of them think it's hooey. Mm-hmm. Um but this opera house, fun little interesting facts about it. So have you ever been in a theater where they keep a horseshoe right side up as you enter or enter into different spaces? Yes, I have. Yeah, it, it that is an old theater legend and it we believe it stems from Phantom of the Opera. No way. It, it wards off bad juju. It <gasps> wards off those bad things from happening. Oh. And, it, and you're, what you're supposed to do is kiss your hand, tap the horseshoe as you pass it every time. Otherwise, you might be a victim of the Phantom. Does it matter the orientation of the horseshoe, whether it's points up or points down? Up is preferable i think down is bad i'd have to look that up oh yeah i'm not sure but the the one in this particular one is up oh my god that's so cool yeah and it's actually referenced in the original book as well really okay yeah facts about this opera house it is i might want to fact check this because i then found two different um things one says it was five stories underground but I don't think that's enough. I, I think it's deeper. Okay. I, I, I think there was some reference to the physical opera house. It is 17 cellar stories deep. Holy shit. Sorry. Under there this it opera was. house. Dang it. Yeah, it's, that's okay. That's that's fine. Fine. <laughs> but I, I went, what? Wow. That is insane. And there is an actual damn lake <gasps> under this freaking opera house. No way. Stop. Actual lake. <gasps> when the builders of this opera house drilled so deep, they hit the water under the River Thames <gasps> that spilled into the void. <gasps> and they were like, well, guess we're stuck with it. So they no. built cisterns to direct the water. <gasps> there is an actual moti Misty Lake that resides under this opera house. <laughs> oh my God, I'm shook. That is so freaking cool.
stupid little fact. There is a huge goldfish that lives in said moat. No. Lake thing that the staff continue to this day to feed. <laughs> Someone got to walk their ass all the way down. Oh, no. <laughs> throw some goldfish food on the daily. Oh my I'm, God, no. I'm just saying, if, if that were my job. <laughs> okay, that... Steven, yeah. that is so, that's so cool. I'm yeah. just, I'm in love with that already. Okay. So yeah. So these are some fun little things about this opera house, right? Oh, mm. I love so, it. Then we're going to get into a little bit more about what, what it is like with this theater ghost and maybe the origins of this theater ghost, sure. where Gaston LaRose in this book sort of comes from. Essentially, the way that this book is constructed, you are Agatha Christie before Agatha Christie was Agatha Christie. Oh, And okay. if I remember right, I'd have to look it up. I think Agatha Christie took note of Gaston well, I'm in it in like, writing style and, and was like, oh, this is kind of a thing. If I, I feel like I went looked across that at some point. But you're a detective in this book and you are essentially through his lens figuring out this story a bulk of the time or that's how it's written wow. it's almost like the notes the notes written by the detective huh but okay the, the book is eerie once once you get used to sort of the tambour and like how how it it reads mm -hmm. It's captivating. Like you're on the edge of your seat. No kidding. Really? Yeah, I I really do. Like I Will you send I me the book? It. Will you send it to me? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I will absolutely send you the book. Thank you. Um it captivates you in such a way in the subtlest ways. Oh, I love and that. It starts out with a foreword that We'll call it a modern day Blair Witch project. Nah. <laughs> Do you remember how, how Blair Witch was marketed and like, oh, this found footage in the woods and it was marketed as such and people actually thought it was found footage of kids in the woods and yep. then they were doing this. Absolutely. This is how this book is with this foreword. Mm. And it's like, this is a true story. Uh, the Phantom exists and here's the proof why. Gaston Leroux, to, on his deathbed, still claimed in his research of this opera house, he claimed the Phantom was real. Wow. Yet, of course, there are back and forth everything of like, no, it wasn't. This explains all of this. But Gaston's like, no, no, guys, like, this really happened. Oh and my I, God. I, I have the backing research to prove it. And so it's it's this mystery and that shrouds this entire show. That's so cool. Like many a theater ghost, there there are many witnesses, mm -hmm. right? Um, the most substantial one is Joseph Bouquet, who you get a snippet of in the film and you do see him in the stage version. Um, you see him getting hanged. <gasps> yes, yes, um, yes. He's, he's the head stage manager. And in this book, he is written to be as a credible source. Like he is a level-headed, like man of high standing. He's, mm -hmm. a, he's a solid man of, of stature and he's unwavering like in his like fortitude, right? Sure. So he claims... Uh, that he caught a glimpse of him at the edge of the stage uh, where you would go down into the cellars mm -hmm. and clear as day. And then he starts describing him. Um, 
and they they he I think in the uh, in the film and the movie. Or the, the film and the movie, Jesus. The <laughs> the film and the sage version, they do have sort of a snippet of this, but I wanted to read straight from the book um, how the Phantom is described in this book. Sure. He's incredibly thin. His black coat hangs loosely on his bony body. His eyes stare straight ahead without moving, and they're so deep set that you can hardly see them. All you really see is two dark holes, like the ones in a skull. His skin is tight as a drum. It's not white, but an ugly yellow. His nose is so small, you can't see it when you look at him from the sides. And that absence of a nose is something horrible to see. The only hair he has is three or four long dark locks that hang down over his forehead and behind his ears. And then it goes on to Joseph trying to, like, run after him. Like, he vainly tried to catch the strange apparition, and it disappeared by ma- as if by magic, and had been unable to find any trace of him. So it's just, like, um God, creepy. that's haunting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, like, and so Joseph Bouquet was an actual upstanding man. People of this theater, he was an actual human that existed. Sure. And the people in this theater revered him. Like, they were like, no, we look to him whenever we need something. And we trust him. That's and so wild. F- for, um, for him to suddenly be like, oh, my God, no, this, this isn't accurate. Or for him to suddenly be like, no, this is real. This is a thing. Um, wow. Was kind of crazy. so much more meat in the book. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just suspenseful and it has so much fodder that I've, this is where I'm, I'm going to start like throwing punches here. Let's um, throw them. Let's go. It, Duke's up. It has, it has so much better fodder to replace the self indulgent seven minute long musical numbers <laughs> that are repeating themselves with the five melodic lines that just continue throughout the whole thing. Sure. Having read the source material, I go, why is not <laughs> more of this in here? Because 
there is such a suspense and a a a, a, a creepiness in in subtleties. We talk about the first scene of this book is about creating this sort of world mm-hmm. in which they they live, and it, it the subtlety of like all the ballerinas were rush are rushing into the head madam's um, room. Of like we've just seen the Phantom, we've just seen him, blah 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 blah, and please protect us. It's, it's scary, you know, over sensationalized, <laughs> crazy. The the head of all of these people, as as we we see the mother mm-hmm. of the theater, so, Madame so Jury. as it goes. Uh, it, what would be Madame Jury? Oh, okay, Ki- kind of uh, in this, sort of. Sh- yes, they kind of combined her with another person in this book. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It- no, no, no. But uh, in the stage version, it's absolutely Madame Jury. In the book, it is someone completely separate that you only really see in this first scene. Sure. Scene of the book. And so they lock the door behind them, and the the mother (laughs) is trying to put on a brave face. So she goes to the door and cries out, you know, who's there? Is anyone there? Silence. Nothing there. Silence. She has her ear to the door. And all of a sudden, she thinks she hears but silk fabric brushing against the door frame and she holds steady or whatever it is and uh. she, she does not like react because she wants to be brave for the girls right and oh like there's something <laughs> so subtle in just the way like I wonder what I would do in that situation and like if I had to be in charge and of like but I feel that I feel that in my bones. But to feel like you, th- you think you hear silk scraping against the door, and there's but two inches from you and wow. this horrific monster. Like that's crazy. Like it's wow. so creepy. Like so. It the one thing I will say, uh, maybe the stage version does, or maybe certain versions of the show do, um, is the number one thing I think you have to do in the show is create a sense that the Phantom is always watching. Yes. He is always, always there. And I think certain versions are better at it than others. Sure. And I would say, I will give the stage version maybe some clout in that I think if done properly, does do such. Yeah. There there are, whether or not, however, I don't know if I can give it all the clouded needs because you barely get the scenes in between the seven minute long repeated melodies that just get repeated over and over. (laughs) I will say that watching the Broadway HD version, there is a a definite sense of the phantom um, always being present. Cause not only do they incorporate things like um, for anybody who's in the industry, um, when I say a God mic, um, it's a microphone that is off stage that allows somebody to be able to, you know, speak their lines or sing things that are off stage. So you don't see them, but you can still obviously hear them. So the phantom does a lot of, um, a lot of that work off stage using a God mic. And then the way that they staged it at this, um, 
um, at the uh, Albert Hall, I think is what we, the, maybe that's wrong. Um, but the way that they do this is the orchestra is actually up top. And so in the Phantom, there's a catwalk that's lowered in and out as they, you know, kind of do things. The Phantom likes to, like, is stationed at this catwalk uh, about half the time. So, like, whenever there are things going on, um, you can see him up there kind of watching. Um, so I, I will give it that, that there is definitely that sense of that. Um, but, you know, again, much like, you know, any thing that we're going to talk about like your eye can only go to so many places at once so like the phantom may have been in other scenes that i wasn't actually like seeing um yeah. but um i i definitely did get a sense of that watching them And I, I will give the that 2011 performance maybe some uh, 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 lift up because I think they had to restage a little bit of it because it was in a different setting. Yeah. Than like a fourth wall sort of theater. Sure. It was almost in, in in a what do you call it like a um, a thrust sort of situation. Yeah, three quarter thrust. Three mm-hmm. sides of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had to sort of rethink a little bit of the staging. Yeah. So I give it that in that I think it had a little bit of freshness to it and they used a lot of like digital screening and so you you got a good atmosphere yeah that maybe the the version that's been on Broadway since the 90s uh has not updated one costume has not changed (laughs) one dance step has not altered one piece of blocking to to do like People, I've I've heard so many rumors that people are on autopilot. They're like, you can't fire me. I've gotten like tenure and da da da. Like, <laughs> it, I, I just I, like if this is how people are viewing this show. Like, do you really like it? Like, what are what are we doing? So I don't know, but. Well, I'm gonna so I'm gonna add this to show notes then because this is a question that I want to ask you is from like a um, from a choreographer's perspective. Um, so I'm but I'm gonna save it for show notes because I think it'll be it'll be an interesting. I want I want cool. your take on I want your take on a thing. Totally. Um, okay, so we so then we've talked about this like guest on the row book and like sort of the source of it all. Um, I'll probably reference it here in a little bit, but I, I moving on to the silent 1925 film. I wish that 
the movie and the stage version, the 2004 film and the stage version sort of followed more of the plot of the book or the silent film version. Okay. Because the plot line it goes through is slightly different. There are a couple different characters that a lot more information about the Phantom. Mm -hmm. But I think for the stage version and, and like this musical film 2004 version, we we had grown as a society that sort of wanted this omniscient force that we didn't want a lot to know about. Sure. However, my brain always goes to like, yeah, but I need to know the origin. I need to know why. <laughs> I need to know how this happened and what. Sure. And so parts of um, the 2004 film versus the 1925 film. And sort of the 1925 film sticks with a lot of the basic plot points of the book. Sure. Like, we learn that the Phantom was allegedly a savant of many talents, right? He was, in fact, a circus freak who had escaped. Yes. Not not to, like, use that as a derogatory term. Right. But circus, sideshow, that person, that a spectacle. That At people the time, come that and, was the know, terminology, yeah. Pay, pay a nickel to go see and, mm -hmm. you know, um, but he escaped. He did. So, like, that portion of the 2004 film is correct because Madame Giri, they contest as the person who got him out of it and mm -hmm. then snuck him into the opera. So that's their connection. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into a whole Madame Giri conversation a little bit later because oh, I, have, I have questions, I have needs, I have wants, and I need answers. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but the silent 1925 sort of spurred a reaction. It At the time, it didn't have the greatest um, claim to fame, but Lon Chaney, who was the original Phantom, um, was praised for his portrayal of something so scary. Um, and in 1925, this, you know, they're learning how horror works and how to transpose that onto film. Sure. Watching it, I got Hitchcock vibes. And so I would have to assume Hitchcock sort of derived a lot of his stylings and thoughts maybe from this film, sort of like the the House of Usher and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, but I was creeped out a lot right away uh, in, in that silent film. Like they set it up in such a way where you're down in the catacombs under the opera house and like all you see are like moving shadows and this like lone guy's holding a lamp and he's like walking through, but you don't know which way the phantom's coming at him. And Ooh. I was like, this would have been real creepy. Like in, I'm trying <laughs> to put myself in like a 1925 perspective. Sure. This would have, this would have terrified me. Sure. Like not ever really having seen a lot of this on screen before. Mm -hmm. I would have been scared. And there's this iconic piece where Christine is like reaching for the mask mm -hmm. and like he's sitting at his organ, like playing and talking about like, can't you hear the deep sadness of the undertones and all of the music, but yet it's so bright and cheery up top, which you then hear in all of Andrew Lloyd Webber's like, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, and there's this iconic moment where she unmasks him and then he turns around and it's this, I'll, I'll post that picture to Instagram, actually, guys. Hey. So if you're not following me on Instagram, follow our Instagram. Yes. The top, underscore podcast. Like, yes. it's just, yeah, I will post that picture on the Instagram because it's an iconic photo that got Lon Chaney a lot of praise because um, he did a really good job with it. Um, but it worked. He, all that sort of era of pioneering film strategy of horror, it worked to my mind. And I, I do, I think if they would have kept more of that 
or silent film story flow that sort of spurred from the book in sure. a lot of the stage version in the 2004 film, I think it would have been a, a better story put together because I think the stage version and the film version feel like a smattering sure. of, of like scenes put together of just mm-hmm. different t- I do not know how long of a time this has happened. I have to assume throughout a season of the opera house. Sure. Is what's happening because they go from like show to show mm-hmm. and it takes some time to go from show to show, but I don't know exactly how, how much, but. Well, and I think I would like to ask clarifying questions. So we talk about all of these films, right? So these film renditions of these, at mm-hmm. what point does the film become a filmed musical? Like at, you know, 2004, 2004. So every other yeah. film leading up to this is not mm-hmm. a musical. It is not just a musical. the story. It is the telling of the yeah. story. When we get into the Andrew Lloyd Webber section of this, ah. I got some tea to drop, girl. Oh, Maga. Okay. Oh, and, and our, our resident phantom just did a mic drop, so. about the 40s, 60s, and 80s film. Yes. Then there was a 2004 film. I, based upon history, I think we're about due for a remake of this. Um, 185%. I would, oh, I would be down for that in a moment. I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this is gonna, I want, ooh, I want this to be a show notes too. This is gonna be a what if. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Continue. Oh, okay. Okay. Um. Okay, cool. <laughs> but so, so then getting back to sort of the baseline of what the Phantom was. Okay. Because in the 40s, I, I, I watched this comparison video of the 40s, 60s, and 80s films. Mm-hmm. I, Guys, don't waste your time. <gasps> How dare you? Ooh, okay. Don't okay. waste your time with this. None of it feels period. None really? of it feels right. They have diverted from the book <clears throat> and the source. It, it's all just weird. It's garbage. None of it, none of it makes sense. And it's all like uh, original Star Trek style shooting. Oh boy. Woof. Like we're talking it's this level of of talent and of like cinema. <laughs> wow. And I, I love me some cult sixties classics, I do. Well, I mean, yeah, who doesn't, uh, but but like just don't. Say just... spare 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 your lives. Don't don't delve into them. Brother, can I you found, spare a dime? I found, <laughs> I found no I found no use of my time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to to oh, well. uh, there was not there was nothing I could glean from these to like try to 
impart upon yeah i mean that's fair like not everything is going to give you you know something that leads back to you know the the ultimate crux of what we're talking about so i think that's more than fair to tell people to not waste it because it's not like you know i mean obviously everybody has dissenting opinions about things but like i think that it's especially from all the research that you've done in this show i would absolutely trust 100 percent that if you're like not it's not worth your time like it's not going to give you anything more than reading this book or watching this version like then don't do it yeah but you know, to each their own. If you if you want to don't yuck somebody's try, yum. The the best one, if I was going to, is the forty, the forty five. I think it was nineteen forty five version. If you're gonna watch one, watch that one. Okay, okay. I think I think was the better one. Um, but okay. it but everything about it just felt like it was set in the nineteen forties. That I could see, and it like. This bugged me. So, like, uh, it's iconic to always have these, like... Um, 1943. S- s- 1943. Mm-hmm. So, it's iconic to have these, like, wooden spiral staircases. We see it in every version of Phantom. Whether <laughs> whether whether it's, like... It's just that sort of nod to history. Sure. Um, and for some reason, in the 40s film, they have, like... It's made of metal. What? And that... That's not right. And what? so maybe I maybe I missed something where like they they were trying to update it. Maybe I'm speaking out because I didn't watch the full film, but maybe they are trying to modernize it. But I was like, cute, I guess, if that's a nod in a modern way, but something so small like that, I was like, if you're going to pay homage to it, pay homage to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I don't know. But so it's little things like that through the 40s, 60s, and 80s films that I went... Just don't waste your time. They just, didn't try. Just don't. It's they were fine. just they were just trying to chug out some content for you via film. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's that's totally valid because you know not everything's going to be a hit, not everything's going to be a winner. And I mean, not going to lie to you, like in looking up like just on IMDb, like I typed in the you know the Phantom of the Opera, and like you know there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I mean, there's like multiple different, um, you know, uh, like titles that go along with this, and so yeah. it's like it's not all gonna, you know, come back to the same thing. I mean, like for God's sakes, there's a, there's a, the Phantom of the Opera in 2021 that is a film that uh, was, you know, made that says, I mean, oh God, I can't even find a synopsis for it. But I mean, just from the cover art, it's a guy that's standing on a freaking golf course. Like what? The- <laughs> N- none of that makes any sense. Look at no, it and I'm not. showing the Phantom. Look at I mean, look at that. It's the Phantom of I don't understand. Like I mean, I can't even hold on. I'm leaning this into the camera so Stephen can actually see. Look at that. What the hell? Right? Like I don't even. I don't, I don't even. Know. The, the extraordinary but, but, true story of an ordinary man who made history by reminding us all to dream big, no matter how it turns out. You know what? You love a twelve-year-old girl. You, you you go, go. for it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. I just I don't even know. No. I don't I don't even know what that's about. So anyway, moving uh, on from that, I just it's just it goes to show that there are, you know, it's not when you when you search that. I mean, everybody is using that. It seems like they're using that no. title for But if anything, Mary, it just shows you how much this show and story has impacted and like it's 
I told you last time, it's so loved. The show is loved. And I think it's because it it's larger than life. Mm-hmm. It strikes something in your internal core mm-hmm. that maybe you want it to be real. Well, and the fact that it, it it transcends a lot of like it makes so many reference like people pop culture has made so many references to this. Um, yeah. I'm going to date myself totally, but there was a Disney Channel movie called The Phantom of the Megaplex. Did you ever watch oh, that? Yes. 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 So it literally did nothing but take the Phantom of the Opera and then it made it in the early 2000s. So if anybody has, you know, Disney Plus or like you can go find, it's literally a 90 minute, it's called Phantom of the Megaplex. Literally, it is, it's such a cute film, but they, they try to pay homage to it in that way. And there, there, it just, there are countless references to it in pop culture. And so it is oh, yeah. something that, you know, it hit what, so it was at 25 years in 2011 was 1986 that it premiered on Broadway. It's still been going since 1986. Like there is just, I mean, you know, that just speaks to, you know, the longevity of that particular story is just, it's wild. Here's the thing. Uh, We have so much content to cover with this show. I know, I know. I think, I think we're going to do it. We're going to have our first two-part episode. No. Uh, I'm going to say we're going to get into Andrew Lloyd Webber <gasps> next time. We're going to get into maybe some more origins of where this stage musical came from. Uh, we're then going to deep dive into comparisons of like stage versions versus movies versus like what are some hidden meanings versus like character breakdowns next time. Oh my so God. I'm going to leave y'all on a cliffhanger. <gasps> I'm going to pull a trick like oh. the Phantom. Uh, I love, well, well, okay guys that, I mean, th- as you know, much like things do that completely off, completely off guard. Um, but so here's a cliffhanger. Tune in next time for yes, for another episode of From the Top, a Wandering Unicorn production. So, Mary, I need you, I need to know, uh, will you go on a misty basement boat ride with me? Of course I will. Yes.